Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm my pre Eric Scope with Jared Mack on the show. Post-game edition, uh, Oregon wins today's football game 52-29. to Probably a little more points offensively than we were all expecting. Probably a little more points defensively allowed by Oregon than we were expecting. But nonetheless, Oregon 568 yards of total offense. Uh, 7.9 yards per play. Uh, They score their most points in the season. The first string offense doesn't have any result other than score. When they were out on the football field, um, the defense does not commit a turnover or does not force a turnover. Um, But at the same time, there was some positives. There certainly were some negatives. And yet, guys, I walk out of this feeling like this is kind of what we were expecting out of this team. Both sides of the football maybe more score, skewed to the offensive side all year. And I come away, and it's it's a blowout win. It's everything that we kind of asked for except for covering the spread, which doesn't really, in my mind, matter from this type of a blowout game. Yeah, I think we're, I think everybody in this podcast feels pretty good about what we just watched. Um, I know I turned to both of you afterwards on the walk back to the car and was kind of like, Hey, this is the first time all year. We haven't been griping about something like significant. I know fans are disappointed with some of the defensive stuff. We'll address it later, but I think we have to celebrate and and sit here and, and just kind of acknowledge what an incredibly impressive offensive performance this was both running the ball, throwing the football. Anthony Brown was awesome. Yeah. Um, I think you have to start there. We've been highly critical of him. I think it's been deserved in the past. Anybody who is critical of him tonight, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's it, you, At this point, it's just like, okay, I, he played about as well as you can. You know, he had maybe two throws that weren't perfect, like they're good the entire day, and those were mm-hmm. in the first half. And after that, he was lights out and made, I think, pretty darn good reads on the read option. Um, you know, the RPO, some of that stuff. I thought that was all pretty darn good. Maybe a couple you could argue, but at the end of the day, like this was fantastic play out of QB 13 and I will do my, my, my grades tomorrow. And I intend to give him a very, very favorable grade. Definitely the best of the season. Um, there was not the, and and we've seen him play better the last two weeks against Cal and UCLA. But I think what differentiates this from those games is there was not the drive here in the middle of the game or a drive at the end of the game where he makes a silly mistake or throws an interception or just doesn't make the right read. He was pretty on point all day, and the offense was awesome because of it. I think he led eight drives. Seven were touchdowns. The other one was a field goal at the end of the first half where, let's be honest, they had the ball like second uh, and and goal at the nine-yard line. And if there's no time constraints at the end of the half, they'd probably punch it in the way that half was going could have very easily been a game where all eight of his drives were touchdowns. So um, gripe about the defense if you want to. Gripe about, I don't know, whatever. I don't know actually what else you want to gripe about. Maybe the fact that Thompson doesn't have a single punt all day. Um, But 
boy, this offense was – this is what we've been looking for and asking for all season. And I thought Anthony really delivered. And, and some of the younger players, we should get to that too. True freshmen, three of them getting in the end zone, a bunch of them contributing. I just thought this was a really encouraging performance, and it was exactly what you needed to do against a Colorado team who's just not on your level. And the first time all season, like you come away going, they handled their business. They did what they needed to do. And they got out of the stadium. I think everybody feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, I went into the week cautiously optimistic about the offense. Uh, since the return of Joe Moorhead after his emergency surgery prior to Stanford, um, Anthony Brown's looked a lot better. And I'm not exactly sure what they did, but just from a very general perspective, I think they've taken away a lot of his read options and have really you know, made the offense a little bit more simple. Um, it might not be exactly the way Joe Moorhead wants his offense to be run, but Anthony Brown is doing a really good job at it. And today was a perfect example. Um, they continued to take shots down the field. Uh, they, Anthony Brown had a 25-yard touchdown to Devin Williams over the middle of the field. And he, he looked really good. And again, like Eric said, we've been very critical of Anthony Brown at points during the season. And rightfully so, because he just wasn't performing. But that was something I was really looking forward to, to watching this game. I had felt that something clicked. And it, it certainly seems like something in the passing attack has clicked for Anthony Brown in Oregon. Um, the other thing I wanted to look for was solidifying who the running back number two was behind Travis Dye. And I think Oregon absolutely has found somebody in Byron Cardwell to be the running back number two. And he has a, almost 130 yards in the ground. I think it was 127. And two touchdowns. He's had He had multiple runs of 30 or just close to 30 yards. And yeah, that's a really welcome development for Oregon to have somebody like that. And Honestly, after after the game, I think I might be in love with Byron Cardwell, just to how hard he runs, how quick he is. I didn't think he was that fast along the perimeter, but he has an extra extra gear, it seemed like to me. Um, and lastly, going into the game, the other thing I wanted to make sure Oregon did against, you know, kind of a lowly Colorado team was just execution. And that's just not shooting themselves in the foot. And they finally did that again against Colorado. Uh, they didn't have a single penalty in the first half. And they finished with five penalties for 40 yards. And that's pretty good considering where Oregon has been at all year with their penalties. You know, they didn't have a penalty that really stalled a drive or stalled a scoring opportunity. They scored in eight of their nine drives. The only one was a Ty Thompson interception across the middle. And this is exactly what we were hoping for as a collective from Duck Territory. And I think what the fans were as well. And obviously the defense had some of their issues in the second half. I think a lot of that comes from a lot of their starters not playing and really getting game reps for other guys. But I thought it was a really, really well played game by Oregon all around on every front, except for Tom Snee because he didn't punt. So, sorry, Tom. <laughs> Come on, Tom. <laughs> Be better. Come yeah, on. What do we what do we grade Tom Snee there? Because uh, it's not going to be good. He didn't play. Incomplete. It's an incomplete. I'd give him an A. He didn't. He didn't muff up the snap. There you go. It's exactly Before. what you. It's exactly what you want from a punter uh, in mm -hmm. his role in a football game. Now, right. I, I think this was a game all year. We've talked about how Oregon just can't seem to to get itself ready to go the first quarter or to play consistently in that first quarter. I mean, how many times have we talked about? Oh man, just slow starts again from from this team on both sides of the football, and Oregon got the ball first. Seven plays, 67 yards, touchdown. The defense gets a three and out. Five plays, 78 yards on Oregon's next possession. 
touchdown. Uh, then Colorado scores on back-to-back drives, but Oregon goes 10 plays, 90 yards for a touchdown, 10 plays, 73 yards for a touchdown. And then in the end the first half, 14 plays, 66 yards for a field goal. Oregon's offense was about as efficient as possible, um, their first team unit. And I think that is – I don't care that it came against Colorado. I don't care how bad this team is. I don't care how uh, outgunned they were from a player perspective, um, from a talent perspective, Nate Landerman being out. Um, it Unless that Oregon was playing uh, another top five, top ten team in the country, they were gonna. I think we were gonna get this result no matter who they played, because they were executing. This was like Jared said. This was the best game from an execution standpoint, and that is a huge turning point. Because if the offense is gonna look even close to this, they don't even have to replicate this a hundred percent. If they're even just close to this down the stretch of this season. We're talking about a team that's going to win convincingly against some of the next few teams that they play against. And the playoff talk will really build steam for this team because they'll start putting up the 50, the the high 40s, and winning by three or four scores because the defense consistently this year has played good enough where you can get those types of margins if the offense could just do its part too. And now that they did. Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out after the game where Chris Paul says they're not playing for style points, that was, in, I think, in relation to a question about how they played some so many defensive players in the second half that, that weren't your starters. And at the end of the game, Colorado forces you to, to bring Anthony Brown back in the game. I'm with you. I, I don't really have a huge issue with that. Morgan was trying to avoid injury as well because you think of the players they lost early. You know, Steve Stevens um, – Crystal gave a pretty positive injury report. It's preliminary, but just that soft tissue injury doesn't sound like it's maybe a season-ending thing, which is always the fear when a player is carted off like Steve was mm-hmm. in the first half there. And Brian Addison came in, a converted receiver, although when he came out of high school, he was known to play both sides of the football. I thought played pretty admirably in the second half. Had some rough plays in the first half. Um, you can probably point to that second Colorado touchdown just before the end of the first half and go, boy, if – if Steve Stevens is out there, they might have had better recognition. That might not have been such an easy touchdown yeah. for Alex Fontenot. But collectively, like, uh, you know, side points or not, like, this was what you wanted to see. And offensively, this undoubtedly, I think, exceeded expectations. You know, yes. I don't think none of us thought they'd score 50. I think you both no. had in low 40s. I had it on that 35. Um, they almost got to 35 in the first half. They got to 31 at halftime. Um, you know, and I think – this is a Colorado team without Landman. Sure, that's a key part there. But defensively, you look at what they've done against pretty decent offenses this season. Like, I know Texas A&M didn't have their starting quarterback, but they held them to 10 points. And that's an A&M offense that I think scored, might have this wrong, but like 52 against Alabama in that upset. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a Colorado defense that's done a pretty decent job of slowing opposing offenses. And Oregon had no resistance for most of the game. And again, if you take away um, – you know, the, the end of the first half there, they have to kick a field goal and then the drive with Ty Thompson there, it's all touchdowns all day. You know, when there wasn't, when there wasn't any resistance from the clock or from a changing personnel perspective. And I think you have to be thrilled with that. If you're Oregon, you have to go into this game with Washington, who again is not playing very well. Their game with Stanford hasn't started yet. So we don't know how that's going to play out. I think they'll tell us something about where the Huskies are at, but I think you have to feel really good about where things are at right now. Um, you have to feel really good about the way Anthony Brown is progressing. Like Jared said, 
Byron Cardwell stepped up and had a tremendous game. He had seven carries for 127 yards. I think five of those seven were what we would call explosive plays, plays of yeah. 10 or more. Um, I think mm-hmm. four of them were 20 or more yards. So every, you know, every time he had the ball, it was it was getting down the field. Great blocking from the offensive line. Um, they were, again, no Alex Forsyth, no ja- uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. Um, they were forced, again, to play. I don't want to say not their top guys, but – it's a unit that's incomplete because of injury, and they played really, really well. And you didn't know, you, yeah, you didn't know that there were no. that there were injuries. Yeah, and Byron Cardwell had big, big role, you know holes to run through all day. Travis Dye did as well, and I, I just think you come away feeling like this was a complete offensive performance. They really put it on Colorado, and um, I think I'd be really encouraged because it kind of looks like things have clicked. And I know it's Colorado, and those lists they might be going, "Oh, let's do it against a better opponent," but. The, statistically, Colorado is one of the better defenses in this conference. So, yeah. you know, you can say what you want about their offense, which, by the way, exceeded expectation. I think Oregon's defense did not play it quite to the level we had expected. Again, part of that due to some turnover, some injury issue. I say turnover from a personnel perspective, not turnovers from the offense, but but just lacking a couple of guys. And in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter, a lot of reserves on the field. And, and you see Colorado have some success. But, man. This was a really impressive performance. I hope that doesn't get lost. I'm already seeing some fans kind of grumble about certain things, about the defense not playing well, about, gosh, we shouldn't have to have Anthony Brown in at the end of a football game. It was a great performance. Enjoy this one. This is what we've been wanting all season, you know. Um, this is the kind of performance you build off of, and now it's two consecutive weeks where I think you feel really good about at least kind of the direction things are going into the stretch run here where they go Washington, they go Washington State, they go Utah, they go Oregon State, and all those games feel very winnable, especially considering some of the results tonight. Yeah, this is absolutely a game that Oregon will look to build off of. I think they they built off of UCLA. Um, you know, that was to me that was the first game. I don't know Kyle Anthony Brown played well and had one of his better performances, but to me UCLA was the first game where I looked at their offense and like they look pretty good. And against Colorado, it's, it's the same way. Uh, I really enjoyed what they've been doing the last couple of weeks of getting screens more involved. And I know that was actually Colorado's bread and butter today. They it was must must have ran a million screens. I, I don't know. I lost <laughs> count. But uh, yeah, they've been running a lot of screens, getting just the, the ball in the hands of their playmakers. You know, Devin Williams had another great day at the office. He's, you know, he's been one of my favorites all year long. And he just has you know, this, this different talent level than I think almost any other Oregon receiver has. And Troy Franklin joined him today. He had another good game. Uh, Johnny Johnson had, was was good in the first half. He did, you know, suffer the consequences of a targeting penalty and will be out of the game for the first half against Washington. So that's something to keep an eye on. But if you put in Troy Franklin, you might be okay. And, you know, that's the type of depth that Oregon has built here on their offense, especially their receiving core. They had 11 players catch a pass again this week, which the first time that happened this season, it felt like an anomaly, but that's almost every single game now. You know, there's no go-to guy. I know Devin Williams seemingly is the go-to guy, but he only had five catches. He had 95 yards and a a touchdown, which is great, but he's no Drake London. He's not going to go get you 14 passes because that's not what this offense is built around. And because they're going wide for screen passes again, the ball, to their playmakers, that leaves the middle of the offense to run through. And Travis Dye didn't have a great game. Uh, I'm reading it right now, 13, 13 carries for 47 yards, but he did have two touchdowns. 
He's a red zone he had, machine. He had three touchdowns total. Three total, yeah. Two rushing, one catching. That's seven touchdowns in the last two games, which is absurd. And if that's Travis Dye's role, where he's a screen pass grabber or he's a red zone running back, he's tremendous right now. And Byron Cardwell, if his role going forward is to be uh, somebody who runs between the tackles, he's going to do fine there too. We saw it today. And yeah, another just credit to the offensive line, uh, just in general. Like they've had, they've been running through eight guys, eight to nine players every single game. And with two people out this week and a couple guys banged up last week, there was unreal pass protection, huge holes for Byron Cardwell to run through. You can't ask more, honestly. This, this was a great offensive performance from Oregon. I, I think Anthony Brown threw one incomplete pass that was technically his fault. And to, to explain that, he was 25 of 31 throwing. So he had three, he had six incomplete passes. He had two passes that he attempted um, to spike the football to kill the clock. Those do not count in his passing total. That's a new rule change. Um, and then the the five or the excuse me, the six passes that he attempted, um, five of them were dropped. And the one pass that he did not complete and that was not dropped was because he threw it in the turf to, instead of throwing it to the to the tight end on a screenplay that would have a been intercepted or if it wasn't intercepted it would have resulted in like a loss of like four or five yards um i i think this is by far his best performance and i put it on twitter and it's not the best performance we've seen from an oregon quarterback in the last two or three seasons but it's up there it's one of the best performances because he made good reads he was on the money for, with a lot of his throws and i think i think it's safe to say now that this offense has kind of turned a corner they've figured out what their identity is going to be like post cj verdell and it works i mean they 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 did a very good job against a good ucla defense and now they've done a really good job against a solid Colorado defense. And like Jared said, like they have figured out their identity. They, they have figured out how they are going to move the ball up and down the field. And we're now starting to see in back-to-back -back weeks, younger guys, the light is starting to click. We're at the halfway point of the season. And some of these younger re receivers and skill players are really starting to just have their opportunities and they're maximizing them. I mean, think about it. Uh, I think Eric's going to write a story on duckterritory.com today about Cardwell, Franklin. We've got Seven McGee doing good things now. We've, we've seen um, uh, his name is completely forgetting the other receiver, uh, Thornton. He's mm -hmm. done good things. Oregon's tight ends are doing good things. Even Trey Benson today, when he came in with the second unit looked really good. This offense is taking a jump, and I'm not going to sit here and say they're they're the a five you know top five offense in the country. They're not, but they're getting to a level now where when the defense does play bad, like they did, maybe not bad but inconsistent, like they did today, Oregon can still win blowout games 
if their offense plays like this. It's been the inverse all year where it's yes. the the offense the offense is letting you down and the defense kind of saves the day and it bit them against Stanford where I mean the defense probably did make enough plays to win but the officials didn't let it matter but regardless of how you want to kind of assess the Stanford loss like the defense has had to save the offense a lot and yep. I thought the offense today not that this game was in real jeopardy in the fourth quarter because it wasn't it was 16 points Oregon had the ball with six to go would have taken an incredible collapse from Oregon to lose but I thought it was really telling. You bring Anthony Brown back in the game. They move the ball right down the field. It's easy. They score twice. I say that because one of them gets wiped off because of a, a an eligible man downfield call on a pass to DJ Johnson, or else we're talking about four touchdown passes for Anthony Brown today. And, and regardless, they did what they needed to do, and they made it look easy. And that was the way. There was again, there was no hiccups today offensively. It was consec- It was very, very consistent. Every drive, they made the plays. They had chunk plays all day. Um, you can't think of a lot of missteps. You know, Brown typically has a throw or two that he throws into coverage. I, I do think he had one where it he was had one. In, in between Pittman and, and Franklin on the on the long throw down field. Um, but that wasn't even – I don't know if that was that close to be intercepted. It was just one that wasn't a fantastic throw. But like, like Matt said, I mean, almost everything he did was the right thing in terms of getting the ball to the right guy. And that's a huge victory in and of itself. Even if you would say like, hey, the result was an incompletion because of a drop, he put the ball where it needed to be 95% of the time today. He had, an inc- he had a completion percentage at 81%. Um, yeah. That's tremendous. Three straight games over 70%. I know he was booed against Cal at home. That's ancient history. We don't need to you know, break down whether or not he should have been booed. But three straight games here, he has thrown the ball effectively. And that was a turning point because there was – I think he has two games previous to that – where he threw below 60%. It might actually be three games. I'd have to go back and look at the stats. But he had struggled to be consistent throwing the ball. He had struggled to be consistent making the right reads where to throw the ball. And he was money today. Um, so I think, you know, tip of the cap to him. He sucked through a lot. He's taken a lot of personal, I guess, uh, attacks, affronts from a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons this season. And credit to him for, for playing his best game, you know, the second, you know, the next game after being booted home to go out and play the way he did with the crowd that obviously is on his side, but has shown at times that it maybe is willing to kind of flip-flop and be, I don't want to say adversarial, but certainly not in support of him. Super impressive. Really impressed with the way he's handled this. And again, the quarterback position, no one's going to say he's the best quarterback in the conference because he's not. But if you get performances like this out of him with all the talent around him and what we have, I think, seen from this defense more weeks than not, this is a team that can do a lot of things. And this is a team that legitimately, I think now you feel like they can run the table and they can go really position themselves to be in the college football playoff conversation from here. Can we, can we uh, agree and kind of end this Ty Thompson maybe should play discussion? Like, I don't want to make too much over a small sample size, but at the same time I do, because it, another game where to me it was very clear that Anthony Brown is the guy at quarterback and Ty is just not ready yet. Doesn't mean he's not going to be good down the road, but I mean, that the interception he threw was really bad. He had that poor underthrow um, to Thornton, which should have been for a big gain. He did have the nice run, but I, I, I think seeing how he played uh, against Arizona, seeing how he played today against Colorado, this is why 
a change was never made. I'd rather not be reductive of Ty and just be supportive of sure. the way Anthony played. And and that's not to Agreed. say that Ty was great today because, you, as you said, two two of his three throws were not good throws. One was interception. The other one should have been, what was that, 20, 25 yards downfield. Yeah. Um, sample size small. But it was clear today who the better quarterback was. I don't think anyone can argue that. And if you do, like that's, yeah. not, that's, that's problematic because Anthony Brown was awesome. And this season, over the course of the last couple of weeks, you've seen Ty – or not Ty, sorry, you've seen Anthony really come into his own. And it's clear they're not making a change. I feel more and more confident that the right quarterback is playing based upon what we've seen. I also just don't want to pile on and say Ty's not good. I don't really I'm know. I'm not trying to say that. Yeah, no, I understand. I'm just saying I, I don't really know what Ty is. You know, it's right. such a small sample size. I think he's got incredible upside. But what, what have we seen that really leads us to believe he's better than Anthony Brown based on field production? There isn't much evidence of that aside from a half against Stony Brook, which, by the way, you look at the first half stats for, or for Anthony Brown, were very, very good before he went down. So there's not a game this season where both have played where Ty Thompson has looked better. And I think that's the way I, I choose to kind of approach that angle. I mean, it's easy, like easy to be reactionary, especially when Ty Thompson has three pass attempts. Um, but, you know, it took until the Cal game, so six games into the season for Anthony Brown to really perform at a high level outside of the first half against Stony Brook. And so that's why there were calls. But it's clear the last few weeks that the offense has cleaned it up and has built themselves around what Anthony Brown excels at, and he's excelling. So, to, uh, like, obviously the narrative was there. It was there for a reason. It wasn't just randomly out of the blues just because a lot of people felt that Anthony Brown were, was underperforming. And now that he is performing, the narrative goes away. It's as simple as that. Uh, I, you know, Ty's still incredibly talented. It's a shame that he didn't get any more playing time today because he probably should have. But, you know, Colorado scores later in the game in the fourth quarter to bring Anthony Brown back onto the field. So the idea that the narrative to put Ty Thompson in obviously is dead, but it was there for a reason. And yeah. you saw against Stony Brook how he can be uh, he could be good. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of potential with him. I mean, plenty of people were calling for him to become, you know, give him time, you know, let him, let us see what he can do because we still don't really know what he can do. He hasn't gotten in the game enough. We've seen one real scrimmage from way back in August, or excuse me, you know, in August. Yeah, August. And that's, so obviously he hasn't shown anything where it's like, obviously he's a better than Anthony Brown, but we also haven't even seen him really play. So it's tough to draw any conclusions on that. If Anthony Brown's going to play like this, there's no reason Ty Thompson should see the field in any meaningful situation the rest of the season. Right, That's and we've only fun. seen that for we've only seen that for three games of an of an eight game season so far. So there's a bigger sample size where people wanted to see what Ty Thompson could bring because they had seen for five games what Anthony Brown brought them. But Anthony Brown is playing out of his mind right now, and that's a very welcome development for Oregon going forward. Hundred percent. Defensively, how concerned are we that Colorado basically scored almost half their season points um, today against Oregon? 29. Um, they did finish with 341 yards, uh, 5.4 yards per play, solid number. Um, they only ran 63%. They were 50% on third down conversions. They scored twice on fourth down play calls. Um, is this a major concern or are, 
because I, I walked away and like maybe it's just how good the offense performed kind of glosses over for me the defensive performance. Um, and at the same time, like just my first thought, I want to go back and rewatch it. But I feel like the second and third units were out there a ton in that second half, especially in the fourth. And they, they chose to get guys reps knowing that it could potentially lead to some yardage and to some scores. And it did by Colorado's offense. Um, so I don't know how concerned I am. I, it is something that's alarming, but I'm not, I'm not there yet to say it's, it's like panic time or anything either. No, no, it's not. And if people think it's panic time, go reflect on how they played for most of the season. And I think the stats are sort of over the course of the season. I don't know if they're entirely representative of this defense. Um, Defense, again, unable to force a turnover. I think that's a little disappointing as a Colorado team that had been a little susceptible to, to, to doing that. Um, again, I ran through some of the stats that have been the case for, for Colorado and losses. This is a team that was averaging like seven points in losses and about 185 yards. And they scored four times that today, and they gained about twice as many yards. So no, no one is to suggest that's amazing. I do think Matt's point is correct in terms of the first half drives, obviously, the four team defenses on the field, and they give up two scores. Um, some of that, both of those drives are without Steve Stevens. I think Steve Stevens is one of the weaker parts of that starting lineup, but the drop off to Brian Addison at times was pretty evident in the first half. I thought he played much better in the second. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the fourth quarter was, like you said, Matt, you need to go watch it. You need to see all the personnel situations. I don't think Kayvon Thibodeau or Noah Sewell played the entire fourth quarter. Um, Verona McKinley got dinged up, so he was out at, at, at times during that final, I think the final or the one maybe the second to last scoring drive for, for Colorado. So they're down arguably like their three best defensive players, having already lost a really key player in Bennett Williams, a really key player in Justin Flo, a really key player in Drew Mathis. Like this, this eventually adds up. And I think the only thing that I will say was maybe a little discouraging or maybe cause for concern for me is just that it seemed like Colorado had so much success in the screen game, something Jared mentioned yes. earlier. And it was kind of – it felt like most of their success moving the ball was through the same kind of play. And I don't want to say that there wasn't a reaction. Oregon didn't make adjustments because the third quarter, Colorado didn't move the ball and they didn't score. And then in the fourth quarter, they, again, were playing a lot of reserves. And that's where Colorado had some success. But – I do go, you're going into this game with Washington. I'm sure Washington's watching the film kind of going, okay, here's maybe an avenue or two for us to have some success. Screens to the tight end, by the way, were really successful. I don't think, um, how many times have we seen this season opponents throw tight end screens? Not very many. Um, maybe that was something Colorado saw in film that there was just, I mean, it makes sense considering you're playing a true freshman, Jeffrey Bassa, at one of those spots, and he's probably ma- you know matched up on, Brady Russell, the tight end for Colorado, I believe that's his name. Um, 38. What's that? Yeah, 38, who I thought was a fullback early, and then it's like, no, he's actually maybe their best offensive player not named Brendan Rice. <laughs> By the way, I do want to – I think we have to give a lot of credit to Brendan Rice because yes. he had two really impressive catches. The one that set up, I think it was the Fontenot touchdown right at the end of the half. They scored on the fourth down screen pass. Rice just – like DJ James did everything he can. I mean, there's not a whole yeah. lot more you can ask of him, and that's just a really good – Offensive yep. play by Brendan Rice. And then the second touchdown was thrown right between two defenders and very easily could have been intercepted or at least deflected. Instead, it's a touchdown. 
credit to Brendan Lewis, to Brendan Rice, who've not been a particularly impressive statistical tandem this year for making some plays. I do think, like, not to make this at all a Colorado podcast, and I'll keep it quick, I do think that's going to be a really interesting offensive kind of duo to watch for Colorado. Two couple of freshmen there in Lewis and Rice who played pretty darn well at times today. And actually, Brendan Lewis, you go look at the stats, didn't play well. Played really well. You know, he faced some pressure and had to throw a ball away. But when he stood in the pocket, similar to Anthony Brown and had time, he delivered it. And, and I think if there is maybe a couple things to be a little concerned with, it's it's the lack of ability to stop those screen plays. And then just the lack of ability to get to the quarterback. Um, I know, again, when you throw screen passes like that, they're quick hitters. You don't have a lot of time right. to get the field. Some of the other stuff, same kind of thing. But collectively, maybe just a little disappointing that we didn't see Kayvon Thibodeau and Braden Swinson and Brandon Doris and some of those guys wreak quite as much havoc as we'd anticipated at the end of the day, though, I'm not going to sit on this podcast and really, really grumble and mumble about how this defense isn't very good. Cause I don't think that's a particularly accurate representation, even though the statistics against a Colorado team we've run through how bad they've been will not impress anybody. And in, in fact, I'm sure Tim Deruto, when we talk with him on Monday, we'll have some really positive things to talk about. We'll have to also have some things to say we really need to work on, on certain things as well. Yeah. I, I'm not concerned with the defense. I, I'm really not. I, I felt that Colorado's whole game plan was to limit how often Oregon can rush the quarterback. And they ran a lot of – obviously, we were talking about it. They ran a lot of screens. They ran a lot of quickouts to the flats. It got Oregon's defense moving side to side. Uh, even still, you know, Oregon gave up 117 yards on the ground. On I think it was 36 rushes, so that's like 3.9 yards a carry. You'll take it. I'll take it. And that's the thing, you know, obviously Brennan Lewis played well for Colorado uh, better than I had anticipated. But again, if you look at his, if you look at his numbers and you rewatch the game, a lot of it were, were easy routes. You know, there's like nothing that Oregon could actually do on defense. It's just like a one, one, two yard quick hitter, the screenplay. Um, you know, it was smart of Colorado to go after, you know, Keith Brown and Noah Sewell, Jeffrey Bossa, and Nate Hukliani in the middle of the field with their tight end screens or just screens in general. Yeah. That was the only way that they were they were cruising, though. The third quarter, the start of it, when you put Oregon's uh, starting 11 out there, Sands, Steve Stevens, um, shut them down. And that's what you look for. And obviously the two – the 14 points in the first half were – I would say surprising. I had them scoring 14 points the entire game. And so, but the fourth quarter, it's disappointing to the point where you have to put Anthony Brown back on the field. But, you know, Oregon was running a lot of third, third, fourth stringers, occasionally a walk on or two. You just kind of put that in your back pocket and move on. Oregon clearly wanted to give their guys reps. They wanted to give people just, game time experience for potentially later in the season. If somebody gets hurt and they have experience at least a little bit. So I don't put too much into it and how the defense performed. Obviously Colorado at the end of the day, you'll look at it and be like, Oh, that's way better than their season averages. But it's one of those, it's one of those situations where you have to know what was going on during the game rather than just making assumptions off of the box score. Right. And I thought Oregon's defense played as good as they could have. Obviously, they didn't force any turnovers, but then again, we'll go back to what Colorado was calling for their play calls. How, there's not going to be any turnovers to make on screen passes and just quick outs to the flats. So in the occasional time where they did put it up deep, you had uh, Rice go up with a jump ball with DJ James, and he just used his 6'3 height to go over James and skyball it. 
And his other touchdown grab, he had two ducks cross over the middle. And maybe they could have picked it up. Maybe they couldn't have. But those are those two opportunities, and they didn't get too many during the game to force a turnover. I think the defense has earned um, the ability to have an off day against an opponent that everyone and their mothers expected them to kind of feast on. Right. Um, I, it, it happens sometimes. We've seen it with the offense, how many times they've had off days. Real quick, though, I, Jared brought up a great point um, post-game about the, the screens, the quick passing game. Washington State in two weeks, that's kind of their bread and butter too, right? Like that kind of makes up the run-and-shoot offense, get the ball in and out quick. Um, just, just something to, to think about down the road, you know, that there's going to be – another game where Oregon's going to have to figure out some adjustments to make because it was clear Colorado was playing into the strength of Oregon and counting on the duck defense to be ultra aggressive. And they, they got some, some good runs and some good plays um, off of that aggressiveness via screens and, and what have you. Um, last parting shots. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is it concerning that the team I'm most maybe worried about on the schedule in the Pac-12 doesn't have a head coach, really? Because Washington <laughs> State just won four in a row in the Pac-12. Put it on Arizona State in Tempe. Like, that kind of – that was the game we were all kind of going, that's maybe a game that's not – I mean, we had all – Washington State and Oregon always have kind of tough battles. That's – anybody who's followed this rivalry understands that. I think we'd all kind of been like, yeah, that's not one to worry about. They look pretty frisky right now, and I don't know what's mm -hmm. going on What's going to happen with Washington? I don't actually know. You guys might know what's going on with Oregon State and Cal if, if the Beavers uh, are the, back. The Beavers are getting blown out. It, it's embarrassingly bad for OSU. Unfortunate. Yeah. But, Washington yeah. State has wins over Cal, 21-6. Oregon State, 31-24. Stanford, 34-31. And then they won today, 34-21 over Arizona State. Um, sandwiched in between that is a non-conference home loss to BYU 21-19. Close game. Uh, close game. Um, but Eric's right. They've won four in a row in the Pac-12. But my one wonder is, is Cal is probably not a bowl team. Stanford is fringe bowl team. Oregon State is looks like a really solid win. But, again, they're getting blown out by, by Cal. Um, Arizona State is, I thought, a good team, but they're not. They're floundering, man. They're floundering. Yeah. I, who's the second-best team in this conference? I, don't, is it, I have no idea. That's what's bizarre. So the, the, the loss by Arizona State just falling on their faces has created a win in your in-first-place situation tonight with UCLA and Utah. Yep. And we shouldn't try to analyze what's going to happen there because by the time most listen, that game yeah, will be over. That game will be over. But I was just like, I think there's a legitimate question of who the second best team in this conference is because it's not Arizona State, it's not Oregon State, and maybe the winner of UCLA Utah takes the throne. If not, maybe it's Washington State who just fired its coach like two weeks ago for well, we all know what it is. I'm not even. We don't have to get into it because it's sort of a uh, you know people have a lot of opinions on it, but it is what it is. It's a really weird year. Weird year. Don't, don't look now, but Arizona's only down 10 to USC and, and with the football. Fourth Good quarter, Lord. six minutes left. So, Good Lord. Pandemonium. Get, get together, supposed good teams in the Pac-12. Just beat anybody. This league, no. uh, this league is just 
really, really, really interesting. It's a cluster. Um, and I think that's probably a, a good thing for Oregon. And I think that's kind of where we're going to wrap, wrap it up here is that another week has come and gone in the conference. I realize as of this recording, two games have yet to start. Um, two more are about to finish. But I don't think that there's any opponent in this in this conference that when Oregon plays, they don't even have to play their best. When they just play like an A or an A minus level game, I don't I don't fear anybody. And the expectation should still remain that they went out. Yeah. Is there anything from a health up? Do we, is there any health update to give listeners before we get out of here? I'm trying to think. Aside from Steve Stevens' soft tissue that didn't seem serious, I don't think. I think overall, like a lot of guys left the game, but it didn't sound like anything was too serious from what. Yeah, Verone, Verone left, but came back. Um, mm-hmm. Mario said Damon David, it sounded like a stinger. Um, so that, that should be good news. Um, I, I would think he might play more if Stevens can't give it a full go next week. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but I think overall, Eric, like you said, Probably a really good from an injury perspective. There's there's not much there. At, at some point, Alex Forsyth probably comes back. We've been Mar- Mario is kind of was kind of lighthearted about it and saying like I've been oh I've been saying he's going to play for a month, but he's getting close. So, <laughs> um, getting closer. Ryan Walk, but I mean, but to be fair, Ryan Walk has been absolutely awesome playing. He's been center. great. Really, really good. There's been no drop off. That's not a shot at Alex Forsyth. That's a compliment towards what I've seen from Ryan Walk and this offensive line in general, playing down a couple of guys, just playing at a mm-hmm. high level. Um, tip of the cap to them. I thought they were excellent today along with the entire offense. So yeah, I don't think like, I think we come out of this podcast not feeling like there's much to gripe about. There's a couple no. of things on defense that we don't feel great about, but the offense was a plus effort and, Special teams wasn't much of a factor, uh, um, just because we didn't have to didn't have to punt the ball all day. You know, Michael Pittman might have gotten kind of away with what looked like a fumble, but they ruled it was forward progress, and they can't review that. And Oregon Seven McGee had a great day offensively, and then forced a, a fumble on a kickoff that was recovered mm-hmm. by Colorado. Like I just go through this game, and it's really hard for me. And I'll do grades tomorrow after looking through more stuff. But I think it's really hard for me to come away not saying this was their best effort collectively of the season. And I know the Ohio state game is more dominant, but just like things that stood out, I don't think there's an area where I felt like, boy, they were really struggling in this game. And that's not always been the case, even in the Ohio state win, even in the UCLA win, there were moments of, gosh, they should be playing cleaner football. This was, this was pretty darn good guys. Agreed. I think the only negative that we really know about is Johnny Johnson's going to be out the first half against Washington because the target and it's a big one too, but yeah. that's, that's the only one that we look at and like, dang, that sucks. Like, and yeah, I mean, don't miss him as a blocker. Don't miss him as, don't a, miss blocker. Him as a blocker. Yeah, absolutely, hundred yes. percent. But you know, they had eleven guys catch a pass today. I think they'll be okay offensively. Don't miss him as a blocker, obviously. But he had three catches for ten yards today. That's production that you can find during the first half and they get him for the second half. So it's not like he's missing a game. It's not like he's out for multiple weeks. It is the first half against Washington, which is frustrating obviously for Oregon, but could be worse. Could be worse. It's basically Husky week. It's Husky week now, guys. Here we go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
This will be fun. This will be fun. All right. Uh, that is it for us here on this post-game edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Until we talk to you on Monday, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.